it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And good afternoon, everybody. Joe Concha in for, well, maybe morning where you may be as well. A good chance of that, as a matter of fact, if we're talking about the other two-thirds of the country. But here in the East Coast, another rainy, drizzly, Seattle-like day here in New York City. As this is Joe Concha filling in for Jimmy Fallon. I am, of course, a Fox News contributor and the author of the best-selling book, Come On, Man, The Truth About Joe Biden's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad, Presidents. Always sounds better when you use the semi-Howard Cosell voice. Also have a new book coming out. This summer called Progressively Worse, How Today's Democrats Ain't Your Daddy's Donkeys. We go through how the Democratic Party has gone from a party of cutting taxes, of bolstering the military, of being against racial quotas. That was John F. Kennedy, Jimmy Carter, pro-life Democratic president. Good luck with that in 2024. Bill Clinton spoke about illegal aliens, made Donald Trump sound like a wallflower. And don't even get me started on Barack Obama, who was literally dubbed the deporter in chief from the left. All these things have gone by by now under this current administration and the border. Speaking of which, this crisis that is a catastrophe rages on a fifth migrant accused of attacking NYPD officers in Times Square now has left court on bail. Isn't that nice? Go back onto the street. You shouldn't even be here. If we had a real court system, like any other country, basically, once they're in court, once they were arrested, they are put on a plane and sent back to wherever they came from. That's it. Why do they even get a trial? Why are they even staying here? They're going to go to a hotel now that you're paying for, by the way, and get three meals a day that you're paying for, by the way. And when they're not sitting around and eating our food, they're going to go beat somebody else again. Because apparently now what we're seeing are gangs being formed by illegals in cities like New York. And when they attack a New York City police officer and they're back in the street, what do you think they're thinking? They're saying, oh, wow, things are different here than they are back in the old home country where we probably would have been shot on sight if you ever attacked a police officer. You would at least be in jail for a very long time. And instead, go have fun. In fact, they are so arrogant, these MRFers. They, 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 they get out of jail, and there are cameras rolling, and they're putting up not one but two middle fingers. Like, see, you can't stop us because you're all idiots. You don't enforce the law. Therefore, we will break the law. It's really quite simple. I, I mean, and, and, and don't even get me started with Governor Kathy Hochul, how she's even turning against Joe Biden, and she's standing up. She's not doing anything. All right? I'm going to play this cut here. It's going to be cut one, but, 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 but. Until I hear from Kathy Hochul and from Mayor Adams and from Bowser down in D.C. and whoever the Denver mayor is and the the Chicago mayor, Brandon Johnson, all complaining about all these migrants and all standing up to Biden. Until you declare that your city is not a sanctuary city, I don't want to hear it. All right, let's go cut one. Go. Any response to police searching for additional suspects in the Times Square attack on police? Get them all and send them back. Oh, please. You want to cut police officers in terms of their budgets. You ran on defunding the police at one point. Please stop it. 
And I know, oh, you say, well, she didn't want to defund the police completely. She wanted to reimagine police forces. It's the same damn thing. It's less money going to police officers. It's blaming police officers anytime something goes wrong in, in, in the heat of the moment, which there are a lot, a lot of moments for the NYPD and other police forces like in Chicago across the country. And one may be imperfect at some point, and it goes wall-to-wall 24-7. Meanwhile, you can barely see any coverage of these police officers being beaten in Times Square, just a block from Rockefeller Center where NBC and MSNBC broadcast from, just a few blocks from CBS News headquarters, ABC News headquarters, CNN right down the block. It's as if it almost never happened. Or when it does get covered, you never see the direct line pointed back to Joe Biden, who said in 2019, during a primary debate, urged migrants to surge the border. Where's Jim Acosta on this, by the way? The CNN guy who used to, actually, he used to be a White House correspondent. He would be there every day. He came literally with speeches. He once read a speech that that was from the Statue of Liberty in trying to lecture Stephen Miller, who was an advisor to the president at the time. Or would browbeat Kayleigh McEnany, Sarah Sanders over immigrants in terms of this White House being racist because we weren't allowing everybody into this country that wanted to be here. Let's be clear. Donald Trump is very much for legal immigration. After all, he married a legal immigrant, right? He's never spoken out against legal immigration. What he's talking about is illegal immigration. And when you say surge the border like this president did, and then you have not one, but 94 executive orders and actions reversing all of Trump's policies in terms of stopping this unsustainable surge at the border where we saw 10,000 people coming into this country per day in December. Well, guess what? This is what happens. And don't tell me, oh, Congress has to act. It's Congress's fault. Uh, no, it ain't. Nancy Pelosi was House Speaker for two years under Joe Biden. Democrats control the House. They control the Senate. They control the White House. They could have passed whatever they wanted then, and they didn't do anything because they wanted this to happen. Anyway, let's go to cut two because, look, this is Patrick Leitner, and he is the acting ICE director. And he's talking about here terrorists who cross illegally into the U.S. uh, who has been on the run for a year. And forget about a terrorist. We're talking hundreds of these guys, the ones we know about anyway. So let's go cut two. Go. We recently reported that ERO had arrested an Al-Shabaab member in Minnesota. Uh, I'm wondering... With that case, he was deemed a mismatch by Border Patrol and released into the interior of the country in March, but it took almost a year to actually nab him. How many other terrorists have been apprehended in the interior after coming through the border? Well, I can say for this individual, uh, within within 48 hours, excuse me, of uh, ICE becoming aware of his status on the, uh, the watch list, within 48 hours he was apprehended. And I want to commend our personnel because as soon as we became aware of that, within 48 hours, he was apprehended. And he's currently in ICE custody. So uh, I, I think that's an incredible result and just a testament to how uh, professional and, you know, quite, you know, honestly, how capable our personnel are. Yeah. OK, we got one. But the question was, how many other terrorists have been apprehended in the interior after coming through the border? All right. So you're one for what? Eight hundred. Look, I appreciate the efforts of of everybody uh, within ICE and and Border Patrol, but they're overwhelmed, let's face it. And I don't know if you could take a victory lap over the fact you got one when there are plenty of others 
uh, that are here. And again, uh, do we have to look at October 7th and what happened when Hamas broached Israel's borders? You don't think there's a lot of people in the, in, in the world right now that, are, that aren't pissed at this country? They're always pissed at this country. But now they see an in. And I, I'm sorry, the, the fact that this isn't, well, I guess it is the defining issue of the 2024 election, but even for Democrats. I mean, this is your family safety that we're talking about. This has nothing to do with party lines or ideology or, or being a country of immigrants. Yes, we are. That's true. My relatives all came from Spain. They came from Cuba. They came from Ireland, a bunch of different places, but they came through legally and they contributed in that fashion. We have so many people coming through here now. We don't know who they are. And therefore, we can't track them. That's how police are able sometimes to put together the dots to track somebody down who commits a crime. They at least have a roadmap. They, they have documents in terms of identification. There's no ID on any of these people. We don't know who they are, where they're coming from. It's insane. Anyway, Ron DeSantis, who, by the way, I'll go on record, saying that he ran a good campaign. I know he didn't win. He had to get out after Iowa. But every interview I saw him do, he was prepared. And obviously he has the record, both as governor of Florida, former military guy, congressman. I mean, the record in Florida, I mean, really should be underscored as far as crime being at a 50-year low, what he's done on education, more people moving to Florida than any other. He just happened to go up against this juggernaut that is Donald Trump, which you could go back through 2016 and all these other capable candidates like Jeb, like Marco Rubio, like Ted Cruz, like Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley's about to find out that, that she's going to be an ex-presidential candidate. You can run a conventional, smart campaign, and if this was 2012, I say DeSantis beats Romney, and if this is 2008, I say he beats McCain. I say if it's 2000, I even say he beats George W. Bush. Uh, but when you go against Trump, it's a different ballgame because you're not going against a person, you're going against a movement. And a guy who is under 91 felony counts that many people think these trials are utter BS because they are. So how do you run against something like that? Anyway, here is... Ron DeSantis with Sean Hannity last night, calling out Democratic states for equally contributing to the border crisis in hopes that Congress will authorize funding for a border wall. Cut three, go. The reason why we have open borders is because of liberal elites in this country. It's ideological, and it's fine for them to do it when they don't have to suffer any consequences of it. But as you saw with the Martha's Vineyard, once 50 illegal aliens showed up, it was like a major crisis, and they got them off that island. And you're right, it wasn't even in season, so they had massive numbers of rooms. Manhattan, they used to virtue signal when Trump was president about how everybody's welcome, nobody's illegal. Then you start to have people there. It, it crimps the services, and so now they're complaining about it. So I think what all this has just shown is open borders doesn't work. You have liberal Democrat voters now throughout this country who agree with us, which was not the case five or six years ago. So let's get this job done. Uh, I hope Congress will authorize the funding of the border wall. Um, and, and I hope that Biden will uh, be shamed into actually taking action, although I definitely wouldn't put money on that. That's the key part there, shamed into actually taking action. Joe Biden sees everything, I know most politicians do, but especially him, through a political prism. That's the way he sees things completely and totally, especially in an election year. So Joe Biden ultimately giving in to Republicans on this is just something that ain't going to happen. Besides, anything, again, that this president does means absolutely nothing unless you start restart construction on the wall. That's one. OK, two, you have to reinstate, remain in Mexico. Three, you have to stop catch and release until you do these things. All these other proposals that you see around, like, for instance, 
this bill, this bipartisan bill that they're talking about in the Senate talks about, well, we're going to reduce the number of illegal immigrants coming into this country from 10,000 to 5,000. Oh, 5,000. That's great. So what is that? Hmm. 5,000 a day times 30, 150,000 people coming into this country illegally. And then if I multiply that by 12, I'm back up around 2 million again. And we're supposed to think that's fine? That's not a compromise. The, the number should be zero. And if zero is impossible, then fine. If it's a couple of hundred, like it was under Trump, we can absorb that. We can live with that. But instead now you see sanitation, education, NYPD, and in New York's case, Chicago PD, you're seeing cuts to major services for legal people who are here legally in this country. It's insane. And that's why I think that at this point, you reelect this president that's in this office right now in Joe Biden. I mean, th- this is unsustainable. This is a crisis that he has created. And the fact that he'll try to take credit for it is like an arsonist trying to put out a fire, right? I mean, that, that's what we're looking at at this point. By the way, and this is a funny little tidbit right here. I, I mean, this is just a great story. Joe Biden apparently is getting his news. He is obsessed with Morning Joe. Joe Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski, one of the most reckless, insane shows on television, if you don't count The View or, I don't know, any other show on MSNBC. I mean, it's amazing. Zoom in, it says here in uh, an Axios story here. The president often calls co-host Joe Scarborough, a former Republican congressman who is now a harsh critic of Donald Trump. Also Scarborough, who gave Trump a platform basically almost every day on MSNBC and kissed his hiney like no other host possibly could, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, often calls co-host Joe Scarborough to get Scarborough's take on issues and sometimes vent about media coverage, according to people familiar with the relationship. During the day, Biden has long asked his staff whether they saw a story or poll or a segment that he saw on Morning Joe. Really? Because I just saw in Morning Joe just a couple of weeks ago, Scarborough saying that Donald Trump wants to execute his political opponents once he gets back into office. Execute. Like, you know, shooting squad type of thing. And Scarborough said it with a straight face. And, of course, the idiots that cover media report it as if this is true. You know, in other words, unless you have 1.21 gigawatts and a DeLorean, you can't go into the future and predict what Trump's going to do. But you can look at his presidency in the past, 2017, 2021, and at last check, he didn't execute anybody. (laughs) So if you're getting your news from Joe Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski, John Meacham, presidential historian, (laughs) Richard Haas, Mike Barnacle, They have Al Sharpton on that show often. If that is your news source, we have serious, serious problems in this country. Anyway, this is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. This is Fox Across America. Back with more in just a moment. The show that's crashing the establishment party. I don't recall seeing your name on the guest list. Nothing to be embarrassed about. I sometimes go by my maiden. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I believe that's ZZ Top. I almost said that was 38 Special, but no, that's absolutely ZZ Top. If you want to date yourself, that song is more than 40 years old. Congratulations, America. Uh, 
So there's a report out today, everybody. This is Joe Conte in Virginia Dale, by the way. That Joe Biden has hauled in more than $70 million from Hollywood elites and moguls. And the fundraising is just pouring in now at this point in an effort to defeat Donald Trump. Now, look, here's the thing. You're always going to see these millions coming in from Hollywood and from these big donors. And then you're going to see all these celebrity endorsements as well. And it means nothing. <laughs> Quite frankly, I really don't think it means all that much anymore. I think social media levels the playing field as far as getting a message out there. I think buying TV ads ain't what it used to be as far as political campaigns are concerned. Hillary Clinton outspent Donald Trump two to one in 2016. And that got her a set of steak knives and a concession speech. In other words... I, I, I hear all these numbers, and I get that it could be alarming that the DNC is somehow outraising the RNC, even though Republicans seem to have more enthusiasm at this point as far as either enthusiasm for the candidate as far as Donald Trump, or when you look at it another way, they are enthusiastic about getting Joe Biden, the Democrats, out of power as quickly as possible. And plus, it's not about the presidency, by the way. I mean, it is, of course, but I mean, it's not just about the presidency, but it's about the Senate. Now, the Senate is a nice little roadblock in case Joe Biden were to be reelected, where he won't be able to get anything done, basically, because there's only so much you could do with executive actions and orders if you control the Senate. Currently, Democrats control 51 seats and Republicans 49. How we got here still, I, I have zero idea as far as how do you lose a race if you're Dr. Oz against John Fetterman, who at the time, he's a different guy now, but at the time, seriously, couldn't put together sentences or couldn't respond to questions without closed captioning and and the fact that he still won by five points in pennsylvania that that's a bit disturbing and shows you that oz was not the right candidate and that was trump endorsed by the way was oz then you have Raphael warnock defeating again herschel walker i loved watching a play when he was with the new jersey generals trump actually owned that team along with doug flutie and so on and then he had a pretty good nfl career that doesn't mean that doesn't make him a senator just because he said nice things about Donald Trump, but he never had any experience before. Should have been a congressman first or something like that. But putting him up in Georgia, losing those two races resulted in Democrats controlling the Senate 51-49. Now you have three races in 2024. Montana's up for grabs. That is as deep red as it gets. Ohio's up for grabs, which has become very deep red as well. And West Virginia, you might as well just put in the Republicans' uh, corner at this point because Joe Manchin has dropped out and uh, Justice will be your next senator, which is a great name from West Virginia, by the way. So if you win two of those three contests, you win back the Senate. It's, it's really that simple. But you got to execute on these things. Either way, Republicans should control the House, Senate, and White House if we live in a logical world, but we don't, so stay tuned for that. Anyway, we have so many great guests coming up, including Taylor Riggs, including Lee Carter. Stick around. It's the morning show that uh, overslept. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America. We have our first guest of the show, Mark Brunovich. He is the 26th Attorney General of Arizona and a man who is leading the fight as far as the Cactus State and the influx of illegals coming across the border there, as well as Texas, as well as California. And uh, Congressman, I, I'm sorry, uh, it, it, General, thanks for, for joining the show. I, I just want to, 
at least uh, I commend you on the question of the month, I will say, for January, okay? And that was, why was President Biden so quick to tear down the border fence in Texas, but so slow to shoot down a Chinese spy balloon? It's a good question, sir. Well, Joe, first of all, thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm sure Jimmy's off somewhere uh, cavorting with uh, celebrities out in California or something because he's big time now. <laughs> but, but, but thank you for having me on. And, yeah, I testified this week uh, before Congress about the border situation. And this is something, obviously, you know, I've, I've spoken out about a lot. And um, I think the greatest long-term threat to the United States and our system <laughs> – uh, our way of life is the ongoing invasion at our southern border. And I do not use that term lightly, invasion. I'm a first-generation American, um, but I'm also uh, you know, a lawyer that's argued three times in the United States Supreme Court. You know, I worked at a free market think tank called the Goldwater Institute. And so I understand the Constitution, and I, and I love the Constitution. And clearly, when the federal government fails to do its job as it's not doing on our southern border, and whether that's just gross dereliction of duty or whether it's intentional, it really doesn't matter. The bottom line is, is we have seen an unprecedented number of not only people illegally crossing the border, but we've seen a record amount of drugs flood in this country. We've seen people on the terror watch list come into this country. We've seen a surge of young males between the ages of 35 wearing you know, camouflage sneaking into our country um, you know, at all hours of the night when they can just w- literally walk across. You have to ask you know, what they're doing. And so the cartels have seized operational control of our southern border. Um, we've seen it rise in not only deaths as a result of the you know, opioid and fentanyl crisis, but our cities are less safe. And so people are in danger, and the states have a right to protect themselves and to defend themselves, as Texas is now doing. We're talking to Mark Brnovich. I, I want to get your reaction, sir, to uh, the current Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, who on the House floor said that Joe Biden has the authority to reverse all of these executive orders that he imposed pretty much day one when he came into office as far as the border is concerned, but he refused to act. This is cut nine, guys. Go. He does not seem to care. I told President Biden this myself on multiple occasions, most recently a couple of weeks ago on the phone. I read him the law. It says that he has all this authority, but he refuses to act. And even that's even despite court orders, by the way, that instructed the administration to reinstitute Remain in Mexico while the litigation was going on. You know what they did? They ignored it. The administration refused it. And unfortunately, this president doesn't hold these things called press conferences anymore, where I understand that most of the press probably wouldn't ask him about this. Uh, but there are a couple of reporters, particularly one named Ducey or Heinrich, uh, that probably yeah. would. Uh, but but th- that's the thing here. Why would this administration fight Texas so hard as far as they're just trying to put up uh, at least wire, right? And which seems to be pretty effective, by the way. Maybe we look into that in the future if we're looking to save some money here and there because it seems to be yeah. almost as effective as a wall. Uh, but, but then they fight it. And then at the same time, the president says that, uh, you know, he, he can't do any more on the border. But all he has to do is reverse those 94 executive orders, and then we're, we're, we're good to go. But he doesn't do it. Is it intentional, in other words, why he won't do it? Because ultimately he wants more voters on voting rolls in the future. Well, it's clearly intentional. I mean, you know, when when I was AG, we sued uh, the Biden administration over its failure to build the border wall. We had to sue the Biden administration over the uh, Remain in Mexico policy. We sued Joe, uh, Joe Biden uh, when he tried to rescind Title 42 prematurely. The list goes on and on and on. Look, what the Biden administration has done is they have decriminalized 
so there's no consequences for breaking the law. They've also incentivized people breaking the law by providing all these government benefits. I mean, I think even now when Joe Biden is talking about, you know, increasing the border patrol or the numbers, I mean, I think that, quite frankly, what he's trying to do is to make it easier for the concierge services for the people breaking the law coming in to find flights and hotel rooms. I mean, it is absolutely amazing to me. Joe is a first-generation American, and, you know, there's a lot of folks I know, like, for example, my church that, you know, literally are immigrants, and I hear it all the time. When they came in, they had to work two, three jobs. No one, you know, flew them to go see their cousins in North Carolina or South Carolina, and, you know, no one gave them free health care. No one, you know, uh, literally, you know, acted as a concierge to, you know, basically facilitate someone breaking the law. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the, the shockingly reckless border policies of the Biden administration, it is one of the greatest catastrophes we have seen so far this century. And it's, it's the greatest catastrophe that the Biden administration has perpetrated. And believe me, that's saying a lot because, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of talk even in the Biden administration about climate change. And, I mean, there is a tidal wave that's hitting our cities, but it has nothing to do with the environment or climate change, but everything to do with the deliberate decimation of our southern border. And we talked about the Senate before and the importance of and we, we talk about the presidency all the time in terms of Trump versus Biden mm-hmm. or whoever the Democratic nominee will eventually be. But the Senate is ripe for the plucking as far as Republicans are concerned. I mean, you have Montana uh, that where you have a Democrat that has to defend his seat in a very deep red state. You have Ohio, which has become I won't call it a deep red state, but a decidedly red state. You know, it used to be the bellwether. Now it's it went to Trump twice pretty decisively. J.D. Vance won there pretty easily. The governor there won by something like 25 points, Republican. Uh, and that's up for grabs. West Virginia is, is all but done, right? You have Jim Justice running on the Republican side. Joe Manchin dropped out as his opponent on the Democratic side. It's already a very deep red state. So there are three races there alone that could flip the Senate back to Republicans. A fourth race is happening in Arizona. And I'm just curious, since you're, you're on the ground there, there. Uh, what is the state of that race as far as Carrie Lake is concerned? We're, we're reading about uh, her campaign already being in debt. And obviously, uh, while she's very popular among the MAGA base, can she win statewide uh, after losing last time? You have to wonder. So will she be the uh, nominee, so to speak, on the Republican side? And then can she win in that state on the border issue? Well, I think it depends. I, I think it depends on you know, who the general election, how that shapes up. And there, there's a lot of talk is Kirsten Cinema, the current senator from Arizona, going to run as an independent and how that plays into it. But, you know, look, I, I've won twice statewide in Arizona, even when I was outspent. And, and I told actually one of the Fox hosts this off the air one time shortly after the last election cycle, Arizona is conservative, but it's not crazy. And what I mean by that is the candidates matter. And I've heard you talk about this, Joe, before the last election cycle with, you know, Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz. Um, The reality is, is that the Republicans should have won Georgia. We should have won Arizona last cycle. And, you know, we should have won Pennsylvania. But the candidates matter. When we have people that can stand up and articulate, you know, conservative values and principles, you know, limited government, individual entrepreneurship, liberty, freedom, you know, providing opportunity for everyone uh, by having a rule of law where you have consistency and certainty in the application of law where everyone, no matter who you are, where you come from, however you spell your last name or what you look like, you have a chance to live the American dream that your kids will leave, live in a better environment and society than you did. When we stand up and we can articulate that, 
those positions, we win. But when you have folks that are rear-looking and they want to fight the last battle, I tell people all this time, as someone who was in the National Guard, you know, even though, you know, I, I was a lawyer, a JAG, you know, a chairborne ranger, so to speak, um, but bad generals are always fighting the last war. And the reality is, I think, as, as, as a lifelong Republican, as a, as a conservative, we need to make sure that we are out there letting people know that when we have this inflation that's out of control, when interest rates are out of control, when kids, you know, people can't buy a house, when uh, student debt is spiraling out of control and stopping people from you know, investing and starting families. I mean, these are policies that are a result of failed liberal democratic policies, and we need to be standing up saying, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get government out of the way. We're going to create a tax structure, a regulatory structure that prioritizes individual liberty, entrepreneurship, and you know rewards hardworking businesses. Um, you know we're not going to penalize people for uh, not being successful. We're going to have the rule of law. So when these degenerates beat the crap out of some police officers, they will not only stay in jail, they're going to be in jail for the rest of their life. I mean, so you know, we need law and order. And we need consistency and certainty in the application of the law and creating an environment where people can, you know, get a little something for themselves and their kids can live a better life for them. And when we do that, we win, whether it's in, you know, what, you're right, West Virginia is, is going to be Republican no matter who, who runs. But in states that are swing states, the Arizonas, the Georgias, you know, the, the Michigans of the world, you need to have candidates that can stand up and articulate and defend conservative principles in a way that brings people together. Politics is about addition, not subtraction. And that's one thing I learned. Look, I don't come from a political family. I've never belonged to a country club, but I understand every day what it's like to worry about paying your mortgage and being able to afford to send your kids to college. I never belonged to a country club as well, but I did actually crash a wedding at one once and the food was tremendous. I'm like, boy, I got to live this life one day. But it's like thirty, forty thousand dollars in. I don't know. I don't know how you afford something like that. I live yeah. in Jersey. Trust me, it's tough. Uh, and we're talking to Mark Vernovich. Uh, as far as Arizona, can they follow Texas's lead here? As far as okay, you're not going to do it. We're going to put up razor wire in the most heavily trafficked places. Can 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 that be done? Is it being done? It, well, it's, it's not really being done. And you know, there's a lot of optics in what the Democrats do when they talk about the border. Going back to the question you asked earlier, I mean, Joe Biden created this mess. I mean, he, this is a this is a, as I said, a man-made uh, catastrophe that was created by the Biden administration. And I mean, one of the things that I've talked about a lot is that you know states have the ability to defend themselves, and that includes erecting you know barriers or forcing people to enter into lawful ports of entry. There's nothing unconstitutional about that. And so, what Texas is doing, I believe, is lawful. I believe Arizona could do the same thing. Um, unfortunately, they're not. And but part of the big problem with this is that when Joe Biden will not enforce existing immigration law, he's he's, he's decriminalized it. So one of the things that could happen happened during the Bush administration, happened during the Obama administration. There should be a surge at our southern border, where you you surge prosecutors and judges, and you aggressively prosecute people for illegally entering or reentering this country. And what we've seen historically when that happens is a dramatic decline in people trying to break the law and come into the country legally. Additionally, when you erect barriers like fences or even what we're seeing in Texas, you know, um, some sort of barrier, you will see a decline in crossing in that area. And so you need to make it harder for people to break the law. And when they do break the law, they need to be punished. So absolutely, states, I think, can take those types of actions, and they should, because there's a cost. There's a cost not only in human costs, 
with lives lost and a generation being poisoned by illegal drugs flooding into our country. There's a cost in, in, in money just fiscally when places like Yuma, Arizona are paying tens of millions of dollars every quarter to, for health care for people that have broken the law and come to the country legally. We, there's, there's costs even in places in Yuma County where crops were being destroyed because of the people climbing across the border. You have environmental costs. Like, where's the environmentalist? The average person illegally entering our country leaves behind eight pounds of trash. Um, wow. That's decimating. That's destroying, you know, the desert habitat in southern Arizona. It's destroying game trails. And, you know, wild animals are ingesting plastic and other dangerous chemicals Jeez. that are left behind people that have illegally crossed their border. So I, this is an issue that should be. This should be nonpartisan. It, it is Frankly, it's not a red issue. It's a blue issue. It's a it's a red, white, and blue issue. It's all about the fundamental aspects of the rule of law and protecting our, ourselves, you know, both in lives and both in human treasure and in fiscal treasure. And that's the thing, right? This should be this election. I don't care if it's for the presidency, for some of these Senate races that we're talking about 10, 20 point landslides, because it's not just the border. And that's a number one issue or at least a number two issue. But when you we hear the president talk about how inflation is going down. It's not going down. I've used this analogy before. You gain 40 pounds one year and you gain 15 the next year. You're still gaining weight. So just because it's not rising as fast inflation doesn't mean it's going down. And people feel these things. They see this violent crime spiraling all over these American cities, including violent crime that's carried out in places like Times Square in New York, where you have illegal immigrants beating New York City police officers, then being released on bail. Education test scores at a 30 year low. The world seems like it's on fire. I mean, this seems like it's right for the plucking where you have a 10, 20 point landslide kind of victory. And yet we keep seeing these polls where it's neck and neck, neck and neck. So I, I don't know what's driving that exactly. I guess maybe you could say abortion. I guess maybe you could say some people just vote against Trump no matter what, because of his personality. But I'll leave you with this and I'll give you 45 seconds to answer what what could be kind of a complex answer. Uh, Why isn't this a blowout for Republicans right now? Do people just don't trust government, whether you're Democrat or Republican to do the right thing ultimately? Well, you're correct that inflation is so high. Uh, even Hunter Biden is jealous. Oh. Uh, so they're, 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 when you look at what's going on in this country right now for hardworking, middle class you know, taxpayers, whether it's inflation, rising interest rates, housing is way too expensive, crime is up. I mean, yes, this should be a landslide for Republicans. And that's why it matters how Republicans stand up and articulate and defend their values and their messaging. And when they focus on, look, we're the party of law and order. We are not the party of free bail and, you know, allowing criminals to not be prosecuted. We are the party that respects entrepreneurs and, and businesses. And when people invest time, money, and business into their business, they should be able to profit from that, and they should be able to live a better life for themselves. So it's, a, it's about getting good candidates that aren't fighting the last war, that are forward-looking and offer a vision where they say, look, this is what America is about. America is the land of opportunity, and it can be the land of opportunity again if we start by enforcing existing immigration laws, we we make sure that criminals are aggressively prosecuted, and we create an environment where entrepreneurs can prosper. I don't even think that's a conservative position. I think it's just basic common sense that even if you're a Democrat, like at least an old school one, you say, yep, that all makes sense to me. I'm voting that way. Anyway, Mark Brnovich, I I really appreciate you joining us. You are the 26th Attorney General of Arizona, and uh, were you a Sun Devil at one point? I was. You know, I actually sued the university over skyrocketing tuition, and they haven't let me back on campus. So, um. <laughs> I had some friends that went there. They have some fond memories, and it wasn't about the classes. That's certainly for sure. But we have to leave it there. Thank you, sir. You enjoy your weekend.
Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. And this is Joe Conscient for Jimmy Fallon. Back with more in just a moment. The show that connects you to people in high places. It's like the most important man in the world standing here, and you got a conversation going with each other. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Welcome back, everybody. This is Joe Conchi and for Jimmy Bell of Fox Across America. Your toll-free number, by the way. Yes, it's now toll-free. 888-788-9910. That is your number to call. We definitely want to get to your calls when we can. So much going on in the world. I mean, there are no, like, downtimes anymore. Like, eh, it's February. Yeah, the weather sucks. Eh, you know, the let's face it, the elections are over as far as the primaries are concerned. Do you realize that we have the longest general election season ever coming up i mean we at least used to have some nice little drama here and there i'd get my south carolina i'd get my super tuesday i would get these other contests and maybe by late april may june we have a nominee oh no this thing's over already i mean let's face it i I understand nikki haley's argument you know she has to stay in at least through her home state she has 17 delegates versus trump's 32 but she's not coming anywhere close there she'll drop out and then we're stuck with trump and biden for many many months Enjoy, everybody. Anyway, we got a great show coming up. A tremendous show. Lee Carter, Taylor Riggs, Representative Malitakis. I can pronounce it. Back with more in a moment, everybody. Stick around. Jimmy Fallon, Fox Across America. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And welcome back, everybody. This is Joe Concha. It is a Friday, a gloomy one at that. It's been a weird winter around here in the Northeast so far. It's been cold, but not too cold. We got a couple of, like, mini snowstorms, which was more than the total we got last year. And now it's just like, all right, at least February's a short month. And then you look at the calendar and you realize that, crap, it's one of those leap years. So now we're going to get 29 days in February instead of 28. You know, it's a big tease, by the way. You think when you're out of February, you're done. You ain't done, all right? March is just brutal. It's probably the worst of the winter months, at least around here. It's when we get the biggest snowstorms, for, for that matter. And it just never – you think spring, March 21st, uh-uh. And even April's a big tease. And not until May do you really get into some decent weather. So literally uh, during the commercial break, I was planning my vacation. And I am looking at Florida because you leave the country. you got to go through, like, customs and all that crap, and I don't want to do that. Plus, it's more expensive to leave the country. So I, I'm thinking about going to Florida. And by the way, it's Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, also the best-selling author of Come On, Man, The Truth About Joe Biden's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Presidency. So one time I go down to uh, spring break in Panama City, Florida. And the year is 1993. And it just it date myself completely. And at the very last minute, I decide to go down. A bunch of my friends are going. I don't know why I wasn't going to go. I'm just like, ugh. To drive 18 hours, there's no real flight that goes into Panama City, and I hate long car rides. And I'm like, you know what, screw it. No matter of fact, I'm going to drive. So I had a Jeep at the time, had a 1988 Wrangler, which I don't know if you drove Jeeps that were built in the 80s. They're built for, like, putt-putting around town, right? A nice summer day, maybe a trip to the beach type of thing, but not 18 hours, right? It's brutal. Anyway, so we go drive all the way down. Halfway through, the guy sitting next to me was the president of my fraternity. His name was Jack. I'll name him by, I'll call him by name, actually, if he's listening. Jack Bender. Bender. 
I said, Jack, I'm getting tired, man. It's North Carolina. Can, can you take over? He goes, is that a stick? I go, yeah, why? He goes, well, I don't know how to drive a stick. Now, listen, at the time, there were a lot of sticks. I'm like, well, you're a guy. How do you not know how to drive a stick? So we tried for a while to him to do the shifting while I sat in the passenger seat. and It, it didn't really go well. So then, frankly, we had a girl in the back seat who was like, oh, I know how to drive one. So then she took us through about to Alabama, and then we got to Panama City. It's 88 degrees. It's sunny. It's nice. There are people dancing on balconies at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We went to this one bar called Sharky's, and there's, there's volleyball games going on and great music, and everybody's shirtless. Well, the guys are anyway, and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And then what happens? It snows two days later. I swear to you, you can look this up. Look up 1993, Storm of the Century, and you will see that North Florida got hit with snow. And that is my story. While I stretch to get to our next guest. Do I have our guest, everybody? Okay, very good. Who do we got? Okay, very good. We have Congressman Nicole Maliotokas, who I thought was on at 135, but if she is on at 105, which is better because I get to talk to her sooner, because I love speaking uh, to the congresswoman who I've met uh, in many a green room over at Fox News. She, of course, represents New York's 11th congressional district and a member of the House Ways and Means Committee. Congresswoman, how are you? It's good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, of course. So you see this video of cops getting beaten in Times Square, one block from Fox News Studios. You know, Times Square, one of the biggest tourist attractions in the world. And not only do you see these guys beat these, co- these, these cops, but then you see the video, which I think should be basically the campaign poster that says, this is Joe Biden's America. I believe the New York Post actually stole, stole my idea and has it as a headline, where you have these guys released out back onto the street, holding up not one, but two birds at the American people, this administration, Alvin Bragg, you name it saying, you know what, we did it, we beat up cops, and you're still stupid enough to let us out. Is this the defining moment of this candidacy for Joe Biden as far as this is his America and this is what he has sowed as far as all these millions coming across the border where we now have gangs forming in places like New York City of illegals who know there will be no accountability if they commit criminal actions? Yeah, this is a sampling of Joe Biden's innocent Asylum seekers, right? These are people who paid the drug cartels thousands of dollars to gain access into our country. That's to start. And then on top of it, uh, they're committing crimes here. And you have a president like Joe Biden who refuses to secure the border, says there's not even a problem. Uh, And then you have mayors and governors like mine here in New York, Kathy Hochul and Mayor Adams, who continue to incentivize people to come to New York City illegally because they're being offered free housing, education, health care, laundry service, legal service. So uh, to, to, to show you how the policies of the Democrats have come to a head here, you've got the federal open border policy of Joe Biden. You've got Kathy Hochul's bail law, which released them right back onto the street. And then you have the sanctuary city policy of New York that refuses when they get released back onto the street to at least hand them over to uh, ICE so they can be deported. So instead, what we, what happened here is those individuals could have gone right back to the luxury hotel room that New York City taxpayers are paying for. I mean, it's just it's, – it's, talk about adding insult to injury. It's like going into someone's house and breaking all the china and then still ex- expecting to stay for dinner. That's exactly right. And, and I, I just can't believe that this is not a bipartisan call. And I, I heard Kathy Hochul. And actually, I'll have you uh, react to this as far as what what she has said about this, where we're seeing she's saying, okay, they should be sent back to their their own countries. They they should be deported, basically. Actually, guys, let's play cut six and get the congresswoman's reaction to it. Cut six. I think that's absolutely something that should be looked at. I mean, if, if someone commits a crime against a police officer in the state of New York, 
um, and they're not, you know, they've not processed, they're not here legally, definitely worth checking into. Definitely worth checking into. That is, yeah. eh, you know, it, it, yeah, it's the like answer should be absolutely. Go ahead. I gotta, yeah, she has to go check with her political consultants and press <laughs> secretary to see right. if, if they should be deported or not. Uh, that That is so outrageous. And now today she's taking a tougher stand saying they should absolutely be deported. The problem is this. State laws actually make it harder for the police, right? So uh, do you know that New York state law prohibits local law enforcement from complying with uh, any any information given to Department of Homeland Security, meaning the Customs and Border Protection Agents or ICE? They can't access DMV records if they see somebody in a car and they want to scan those plates. They can't access those records. Um, and on top of it, New York lowered the sentencing for crimes so it would not automatically trigger deportation. And the third thing they did was uh, ICE is prohibited from making an arrest if somebody is going to a court date or coming back from a court date. So when these perps, let's say they were at a shelter or at their home, uh, and they were leaving that day and they were going to court, and they're not allowed to make that arrest outside their home. They're actually prohibited. ICE will be the criminal instead of these perps who are beating the cops up. That's what New York laws do. And if Kathy Health wants to be helpful, she should try to uh, change those laws and also bail law, which is the reason they're on the street right now to begin with. Six words, Congressman. We are not a sanctuary city. Declare that. Whether you're Eric Adams, whether you're Hochul as far as the sanctuary state, as far as Bowser in Washington, as far as Johnson in Chicago, if you really want to stand up to this administration and you really want to protect your citizens and your resources in your cities, I would love to just see one person go rogue and declare that. And, and I, I have a feeling that just is not going to happen. And we're talking to Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. Uh, the president says... Uh, Congresswoman, that he has done all he can do. In other words, he does not have the resources at this point where he can do anything about this problem. So I want to get your reaction to this soundbite. Guys, it's cut 10. Please go. With executive authority, is there more you can do? Absolutely. all I can do. Give me the power. I've asked for the very day I got in office. Give me the border patrol. Give me the people, give me the people, the judges. Give me the people who can stop this and make it work right. Congresswoman, 94 executive orders and actions Joe Biden took in his first 100 days and pretty much on day one to reverse all of Donald Trump's successful border policies. What is he talking about where he says he's (laughs) been asking about it the very day he got into office? He reversed everything. That is some epic gaslighting you've just heard from Joe Biden right there. I mean, this is a guy who came in, as you said, he undid by executive order all the policies of President Trump that were working. And, and then dozens of other policies in, on top of that. Uh, he can undo it today if he chooses to. He chooses not to. And to act like he needs some law or authority or anything to, to undo this mess he created is outrageous. Now, the only reason we're trying to pass legislation, and we did out of the House with our Border Security Act, is simply because Joe Biden refused to act. So if the House and Senate could agree and pass something, we could put more pressure on the president. But he doesn't need a new law. He just needs to undo the mess that he did. Our other challenge is Chuck Schumer refuses to pass our bill, which we passed in May, has been sitting on his desk, which would end the crisis today. Uh, And he's been incapable of passing anything out of the Senate. So if he doesn't like our bill, he should pass something. But he sees this crisis in his own backyard, Chuck Schumer. 
he saw his alma mater, James Madison High School in Brooklyn, taken over by migrants, forcing the students to go have to uh, go virtual again. And he does absolutely nothing about it. And he is another one who acts like nothing's happening. There's no crime. Um, but, but let me – I want to just bring up one point that's important for sure, people to, to know about New York City. So, yes, it's a sanctuary city, but, but what that truly means in this case is that they will not comply with any federal detainer request. In fact, ICE has a detainer for the individual who murdered – a migrant who murdered another migrant at one of the shelter encampments, and he's in custody, and there's an ICE detainer for him. Now, if uh, – let's say – for some reason, he's going to be released because he's not charged or bail or whatever the case may be. He will not be turned over as per the detainer request because the city requires a judicial warrant, and ICE uses administrative warrants. So they're playing semantics, saying that they would cooperate if there was a warrant, but they won't cooperate with any administrative warrant, even if it's for somebody who just murdered somebody. So it's it's outrageous um, the way that they're playing the public and acting as if uh, they're not the problem. That's amazing. I, I mean, amazing in the most craptastic of ways. And we're talking to Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. In terms of passing something, just to at least make an unmanageable situation a little bit more manageable, we got uh, one of your fellow Congress uh, people, Representative Dan Crenshaw from Texas. Uh, he is saying it would be stupid to torpedo a potential reform bill. Let's go to cut four, guys. Go. The height of stupidity is having a strong opinion on something you know nothing about. I'm, I'm extremely disappointed in the very strange maneuvering by many on the right to, to, to torpedo uh, a potential border reform bill. If we have a bill that on net significantly decreases illegal immigration and we sabotage that, that is, that is inconsistent with what we told our voters we would do. People will make up whatever reasons they, they want to. There's a number of them, I'm sure. But it would be a, a pretty unacceptable dereliction of, of your duty. So to that point, Congresswoman, let's say you pass a bill, but it doesn't include restarting wall construction or reinstating re- Remain in Mexico or ending catch and release. Does it really have teeth? Well, it wouldn't have teeth. And, and that's in all the things you mentioned, by the way, were in the House bill. But the, the, the bigger issue here is we can't negotiate with the Senate if they have not passed anything. And all we know is what we're reading about on Twitter. And what we read about on Twitter is that they want to legalize uh, to allow 1.8 million people to enter into our country. That's 1.8 million people who are still paying the drug cartels, which accounts to about hundreds of billions of dollars a year. Uh, that, that should not be acceptable to the Republicans. We should, that could be the Senate's starting point. We certainly shouldn't just take their bill and pass that. Uh, by the way, they don't, they, but they don't have a bill. That's the whole point. The point is you can't negotiate from nothing. So if Chuck Schumer doesn't want to pass our bill, which has real teeth and would really solve this issue today, let him pass something. But so far he hasn't, he hasn't shown anything. And so we can't, we can't get this uh, reconciliation going uh, until we see what their priorities are. I think, Congresswoman, that's the maddening part about this, where you hear about, well, we could reduce illegal crossings from 10,000 to 5,000. Well, no, that's still completely unacceptable. Uh, 10,000 to 5,000, because then you know what Biden's going to say in terms of gaslighting. We've reduced border crossings by 50 percent. We're the ones leading the charge at the border. When Jay Johnson, who was a very capable uh, Homeland Security uh, secretary under Barack Obama, give credit where credit is due, he said that something like 500 a day is unsustainable. So 5,000, give me a break. 
Well, that's the Democratic playbook, right? They create a mess, they create a crisis, and then they go and like try to <laughs> fix it and then take credit for fixing the crisis that they created to begin with. Yeah. If, if anything gets done at all, it's because of the pressure that Republicans have been putting on this administration and on mayors and governors like mine. We are exposing what their policies are doing, and their policies are wreaking havoc all across our cities in our nation. And the fact that the mayor thinks it's okay that this guy walks back onto the street and then goes to a luxury hotel room that we, the taxpayers, are paying for is ludicrous. It's just absolutely ludicrous. It is so insulting to everybody. So they're all complicit in it. And uh, the bottom line here is uh, people have to see that the, the policies of the Democrats have been destructive, and it's finally all come to a head here, and we are seeing uh, the result of it, and it's very ugly. And if we had an honest media, they would be seeing it a little bit more, but you can see it in places like the New York Post and Fox News and a handful of other places. So at least there is some leveling of the playing field. Congresswoman, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Great to be with you. Thank you. All right. Enjoy your weekend. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. we got Congressman Dan Mauser. He's coming up next. That is on Fox Across America on Fox News Radio. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. That's my name. Don't wear it out. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Oh, we're reaching into 1999 for that one. And an incredible movie. This is Joe Contra. It's called Office Space. You're listening out there. One thing you should know about me, that my wife trusts me with very little things around this household. Taking out the garbage, I've actually gained trust. Taking care of the, I'm going to sound elitist here, the pool in the backyard. Granted, a very antiquated, old, and pain-in-the-ass one to take care of. I'm, I'm trusted with that. I'm trusted with the dog, I think, for the most part. But most of all, I am trusted with movie selections. And when I pick something, I'd say I'm about a 97 98% rate as far as it being excellent. Okay, The Boys in the Boat, for example, a uh, recent movie out, George Clooney, executive producer, is excellent. You might want to rent that one tonight. All right, But... Office Space, if you have not seen it, I beg you to, because it is one of the best movies you will see, best comedies anyway, uh, of the uh, 20th century, quite frankly. You might be saying, I never heard of this movie before. Trust me. It, it, is, it doesn't age itself either, by the way, uh, despite the fact that 1999 is now 25 years ago, if you really want to feel old. Anyway, uh, President Biden, the first lady, they're back in Delaware uh, as we speak. Uh, the president uh, is participating in the dignified transfer at Dover Air Force Base of uh, the three fallen soldiers uh, that we had uh, in Jordan, uh, courtesy of uh, an Iranian proxy, the Houthis, uh, who uh, bombed them with the drone, uh, killing uh, three and injuring dozens. Uh, we have yet to see a retaliatory strike from the president. Uh, general, uh, as you say, Secretary Lloyd Austin, who is a general, uh, is also with the president. Good to see we know where he is, finally. You know, I mean, he was only in a hospital for over a month. Didn't even let the president know. Says he was going originally in for uh, elective surgery, and it turns out that he has prostate cancer. Uh, what's elective about that? The fact that, you know, the, the, the Secretary of Defense lied about this, right? Lied why he was going to the hospital. Didn't disclose where he was. And then could have been out of it in terms of some sort of surgery, some sort of procedure, where then if we need you know, a strike okayed, and he's not, we don't even know where he is to okay it, let alone he may not even be coherent. That should be a fireable offense. Anybody in the military, if you leave your unit and don't tell anybody for days on end, weeks on end, 
and no one can find you, I'm pretty sure you're discharged. It's over for you at that point. So the fact that it, Lloyd Austin just got away with this and, and the usual idiots on TV and, and at the New York Times and Washington Post, I can't see even one op-ed condemning this as a whole bowl of wrong. Anyway, Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. We got Lee Carter. We got Taylor Riggs. We got a lot coming up. Please stick around. It's America's Life Coach, Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And welcome back, everybody. This is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. So we have President Joe Biden. He's going to East Palestine, which, and that's in Ohio, of course. And, of course, that's where that horrendous, toxic derailment happened uh, exactly, I believe, one year ago today. So if he was going and this was 2023, then you would say, good, Mr. President, whenever a crisis like this happens, you should be on a plane and assessing the damage right away and seeing what resources and people and money can be supplied for these people who, let's face it, I mean, what if you have property, you own property in East Palestine, Ohio, then What's it worth now? Do you still really, even to this day, trust the drinking water and, and everything else around as far as if you want to grow crops, for example, or, or whatever? And Donald Trump went there a couple of weeks after the East Palestine derailment uh, and did the right thing. And I would say as far as momentum behind a, a Trump candidacy, that seemed to change things because it reminded people about who he was as far as caring about people in those flyover states and in places like East Palestine. Now, for whatever reason, Joe Biden is going now, a year later. Why? I have zero idea. Like, what can he possibly provide as a president one year later after the fact? But anyway, I want to ask that to our our next guest. And and he joins us now. Uh, Congressman, and and, and we really appreciate you joining us, Congressman Dan Bowser. Uh, Of course, you represent Pennsylvania's 9th Congressional District. You're a member of the Financial Committee, the House Small Business Committee. Uh, You know, you're in Pennsylvania. Obviously, this affected the western part of the state as well as far as this derailment is concerned. Can you explain why the president took a year to go to East Palestine, Ohio? Yeah, hey, Joe, great to be with you. Sure. Dan Muser serving Pennsylvania's ninth. I'm on the more of the eastern part of the state. But, uh, yeah, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, uh, this uh, East Palestine situation affected us as well, uh, and the poor people, of course, from, from that town. Look, it was devastating. Uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a significant accident. Uh, there, was, there was all kinds of poison uh, that was released. And uh, Pete Buttigieg and President Biden didn't find it in their political interest clearly to go at the time. You know, there was really no other reason for it. I mean, if this would have been downtown San Francisco, um, uh, they would have been, um, you know, there would have been memorial services. But um, so a year later, everything they do, Joe, is late and slow, slow and late. I mean, just, just look at it. There's no decisions coming out of this this comatose White House until until a crisis manifests to the highest levels, and then he asks the American people, the taxpayers, to pay for it uh, from the Ukraine, uh, from the uh, of course the border situation. Um, you know every every crisis that that's occurring. You know the the situation with with, with Iran, just pretending it doesn't exist. Well, they knew it existed. But their ideology takes over for the reality on the ground. So they're very, very political. I'd say they're about 99.9 percent political. 
so just like they they got a border bill coming along now uh, because it has political advantages as far as they're concerned. Um, and, you know, this trip to Ohio is uh, only because it's an election year. Um, it's not about people. It's about politics. I think, uh, and we're talking to Congressman Dan Muser, and, and he is from, obviously, the eastern part of Pennsylvania, but uh, I'm sure that was uh, something that was a topic of conversation a year ago as far as your uh, mm-hmm. constituents out west are concerned. Uh, you're, you're right about the uh, day late, dime short perspective, because obviously we saw it uh, with Afghanistan as far as, well, we'll let the Taliban handle security around the airport. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a swell idea. And then what's going on with Iran, I wonder, because here we have proxies using our U.S. servicemen and women as target practice in the Red Sea and Jordan. Obviously, we just lost three. They're, they're literally uh, just got flown back to Dover and Delaware uh, uh, this morning. Uh, are we going to see a retaliatory strike? Uh, if so, yeah. will it just be a pinprick just to show we're doing something? I know you can't forecast these things, but yeah. uh, it just yeah. seems like everything – this happened a, a week ago, and yet we have the capability to strike back immediately, yet we're not seeing anything. Why do you think that is? Yeah, because it's, it's, it's an ideological outlook of, of truly appeasement, and they also have not yet abandoned their inexplicable affinity – for Iran uh, and doing some sort of deal, if you will, with Iran. And let's keep in mind, that's also the reverse of the other trend that they have is to do anything that's the reverse of the Trump administration, which is, you know, which is sophomoric at, 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 at best, right? To, that you actually uh, uh, set policy that is, that is the, the inversion of your, your, your predecessor, so, um, I mean, Iran is the center of – it's a state of terrorism. I mean, it's, it's uh, funding uh, the, the, those – the Houthis and everybody else, Hezbollah, uh, Hamas. I mean, I sat in a meeting where they tried to explain. They were, they were actually giving – trying to give some forgiveness and, and explanation as to how Iran was not involved with Hamas uh, just days after October 7th. They meaning people from the State Department and the Department of Defense. This is just a, a really troublesome, troubling administration. Uh, Biden, of course, cannot make any decisions, so that 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 changes the chain of command uh, um, significantly. Uh, they try to get answers. The answers come slowly. Uh, they can't do things without the okay of the commander in chief. So that slows things down. It's the ideology that that, that goes around it, um, and uh, and and then the, uh, the the politics. I mean, well, let's face it. We've had what 160 uh, attacks on American forces. We've responded four, maybe five times. Now we've lost three soldiers. Not to you know, I, uh, along with uh, uh, two SEALs, which was tragic a few weeks back, uh, due to. A, 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 a very incoherent um, uh, planning uh, as to how we're handling the Middle East. I mean, let's face it. Secretary Austin actually said after merchant vessels were being fired upon in the uh, Red Sea, that in the Suez Canal, that, uh, that we're, we're, we're putting together a coalition of countries to determine the right response. Are you kidding me? I mean, this was this was this was uh, this was no, no, November seventh, a month after uh, dealing with the uh, with, with the barrage uh, and and the trade disruptions that were taking place. 
Um, and then, you know, of course, Secretary Austin decides to have a have a, a, a surgery, emergency surgery, and he goes MIA for five days. I mean, this is a really dysfunctional administration. And Congressman, it's an administration where no one gets fired, apparently, no matter what the egregious act, like what Lloyd Austin did, which would get anybody in the military discharged immediately if you left your unit, so to speak, and didn't bother telling anybody. And he's only, I don't know, the secretary of defense. Uh, And the Middle East, you made made a point about that early, but the Middle East is coming here now, isn't it, across the U.S. southern border, where it's no longer just from countries like Nicaragua and Mexico and the Triangle down in Central America, but we are now seeing hundreds, thousands of people from places like Sudan and Jordan and Iraq and Afghanistan and pick your Middle East country, they are just walking across the U.S. southern border. The next 9-11 very well could be coming our way, could it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really awful. Uh, it's dangerous. Uh, it's almost, uh, I hate to say it, predictable. It's not if, it's when. I mean, there are, as you said, over 100 different countries. The, even the number of Chinese nationals coming across is, is colossal compared to what it was uh, from the Middle East. I mean, what, we had 160 uh, individuals uh, caught that were on the, um, that were on the uh, terrorist watch list. So, look, I mean, of all Biden's colossal mistakes— uh, and crises that have been created that the, that we now have to deal with. And, uh, the border is probably the, the worst of all. I was there at the beginning of the month with Speaker Johnson and uh, a number of other members. That was very clear. CBP knows what to do on how to fix the border, and it can be done uh, relatively quickly. And if President Trump came back in, the first thing that he would do was was reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy or First Nation of First safe nation for asylum. You do that. It's a deterrence. They won't be getting in. We gain the cooperation of of Mexico. Look, if we have to pay Mexico a a, a few billion dollars for crying out loud to to uh, help with detention centers and and processing and everything else that they need uh, to abide by their asylum laws. So be it. But it can be resolved. And I will tell you this, Joe, every CBP, including the Texas CBP, told us. Yep. The, the levels of immigration would decline by eight, 75 to 80 percent just with remain in Mexico. And at least and that's manageable, what? right? At least that's manageable. And then, oh, my, build a wall and, and catch and release. Those are two other ways. Congressman Muser, I'm sorry we, we have to run. We're up against a hard break. But uh, all great points, and we really appreciate you joining us. Senate bill does not have any of that in it. There's no remain in Mexico, and that's why that's going to be a problem. Well, there you go. But anyway, you enjoy your weekend, sir. Sorry about great. the Eagles. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. Back with more in a moment. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Welcome back, everybody. It is Joe Concha filling in for Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. Got some uh, 90s music in honor of our next guest, Lee Carter, who is to be a Jersey Shore gal after the 90s, of course, because uh, that would put her uh, as a young teenager. But I think growing up, she's a 90s music kind of gal. Am I right on that, uh, Lee Carter? You're absolutely right. Love it. (laughs) Good stuff. So, uh, look, let's first introduce you, obviously. You are a word geek, a researcher, an author, a mom, occasional commentator, my butt. You're on more than I am, (laughs) I think, at this point, all over the place. And uh, Um, what made you want to get into polling, by the way? Because that's your bailiwick, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. You know, I am fascinated why people do what they do and why they think what they think and why they believe what they believe. I also 
I've always been a political geek. Like I, in high school, worked at a Jersey deli, Ooh. and um, I saved all my money to make to get box sets about like the the Reagan presidency, for example, from PBS, et cetera. So it combines all of my interest in one. I feel lucky to do it every day. Yes, because I, I used to actually host. I don't know if I ever told you this, a polling show for the Hill TV called What America's Thinking. And we not only did political polls, but polls on cultural stuff as well. And it was actually a really fun show. And we, we never got to have you on, I think, because we mainly went with Washington pollsters. But uh, it, it really is a pleasure kind of to learn, engage exactly what's important to Americans and what isn't. And right now it seems, as we're talking from a political perspective in 2024, that the border and immigration, which used to be, you know, a top five, we'll call it, Mm-hmm. topic or issue, uh, particularly in the last 10 years and since Trump started talking about it, it's now number one, it, definitely among Republicans and even more and more Democrats are talking about this as their primary issue. That's the border, obviously. But why do you think Democratic voters are sounding the alarm more and more? Well, you know, it's a fascinating phenomenon. It, it, it jumped in the polls by nine percentage points in just one month. Um, and so when you think about how important it's become, it's significant, especially it's not just because everybody's feeling so much better about the economy, because if you poll people about the economy, they're not feeling great, um, regardless of, of how the Biden administration is trying to tell us that everything's never been better. But what is happening is that the immigration effect is no longer just an issue that is affecting Texas and those border states. It's affecting American cities. It's affecting all of us. And so a lot of people talked about the political stunts that DeSantis did by flying migrants up to uh, Martha's Vineyard on Christmas Eve, uh, Governor Abbott taking busloads of of migrants and dropping them off in sanctuary cities. Well, that's raised the profile of what the issue is, because now it's an issue that's addressing and facing all Americans. We're seeing kids get displaced from their schools. We're seeing all sorts of issues that are happening, and people are saying enough is enough. The numbers are staggering. as far as how many people are entering the country and what that means for our population and how we're going to support them. So it's now, it's now an issue that's relevant to everyone. It really is. And, and I, I think mostly what we see in American cities are black voters saying, what about us, you know, or Hispanic voters like, wait, we're here legally. Right? And, and we're yeah. seeing billions of dollars being siphoned from sanitation, dirtier city, education. My kids aren't being as educated uh, the way they should be. The NYPD in New York City's case is getting less money as a result of all this. And, and that's the type of stuff that crosses across party lines. We're talking to Lee Carter, uh, the great pollster. And, and look, Lee, I, I see this poll out from Quinnipiac, or, or maybe it was Morning Consult. No, it was Quinnipiac, I believe. And it yeah, shows yeah. Uh, Biden up six, right? And this is now dominated the news cycle somehow. <laughs> hey, a good poll for Biden. It shows that yeah. look where things are going, right? Where it's just a snapshot in time and it's only one poll. I look at this morning console poll that came out just two days ago. It shows Trump up eight in Wisconsin, 12 in Nevada, six in Michigan, seven Georgia, 13 North Carolina, eight Arizona, three Pennsylvania. I mean, if he wins even a majority of those states, he will be president again. Do we focus too much on national polls instead of state polls? Because let's face it, these elections come down to six or seven states. I just named them. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think focusing on nationwide polls helps us understand sentiment. And because statewide polls are not, uh, they're not fielded as frequently, it's a lot harder. The sampling numbers are more difficult, all kinds of things we don't need to get into. They're just not as frequent. So we don't, we don't see them um, 
in the same way. But so I think that general election polls help us understand um, overall what's happening. But it's a little bit like if you're watching football and you're counting all the stats instead of looking at the score, it doesn't matter how many running yards you have up if you haven't made the point. And so at the end of the day, this is about the Electoral College. This isn't about the popular vote. And so I think you're absolutely right to be looking at that morning consult polls. And by the way, all of the polls that are out there that are looking at those seven swing states that are going to decide this election are saying that Trump's really ahead in those areas. So um, I think, you know, you, with, with polls, you can, you can take what you want out of them. Um, but I think it's really important to look at the Quinnipiac poll and say, you know what, I'm not sure if this is an outlier uh, poll, which it very well might be, or if it's signifying that maybe Trump is taking a hit for some of the activities that's happened over the last two weeks, but it hasn't yet impacted his ability to win in those seven states that matter the most. That's right. And we're talking to Lee Carter. And it's the last two Republicans that won office, that's George W. Bush and Donald Trump, lost the popular vote, right? And they won the Electoral College. And you win the national Vote, well, that's great. That gets you a set of steak knives and a concession speech. So, again, national polls, run it up in New York and California and Illinois. That's great, but you got to win in the states that we just talked about. And we're talking to Lee Carter, the great pollster. Uh, Lee, in these polls as well, state polls, RFK mm-hmm. Jr. is getting double digits in Wisconsin, Nevada, 8% in Michigan, 8% in Georgia, 9% in North Carolina, 10% in Arizona, 7% in Pennsylvania. These are significant numbers because usually the third-party candidate, like a Jill Stein example in 2016, and we only got a minute, unfortunately, uh, they play spoiler. But here it seems to be a much bigger role. Will these numbers hold for RFK? Because in the past, the third-party candidate, they look good nine months out, but then on Election Day people say, I'm going to waste my vote. I'm just going to go for one of these two people anyway, major parties. I think they're going to hold as long as Biden and Trump are the nominees, because in many cases, they're both unpopular with certain parts of the audience who say, I don't want to vote for either one of them, so I'm looking for somebody else. If it's if for some miraculous reason it's, it's the, the candidate's not Joe Biden, not Donald Trump, then you might see those numbers decrease, because I think people will be more willing to give other people a chance. But um, we've got two very well-known candidates, and I think the fair number of people for both who say, I don't, I don't want them, although the support on Donald Trump is incredibly strong for what he does have. More loyal than anything we've ever seen from the core support, no question about it. Lee Carter, sorry about this, that we have to end things so soon. I did want to talk more about our days at the Jersey Shore, but we will have to do that at another time. <laughs> Thank you for joining <laughs> us, and have a great weekend, and say hello to the husband and your, your lovely child. All right, you too. Take care. Okay, Lee, take care. And we'll be back with Taylor Riggs of Fox Business on Fox Across America. This is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. Stay tuned. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. back everybody it is hour three of fox across america with jimmy Fallon. i am joe concha filling in for mr Fallon, jersey joe as it were i am a fox news contributor and the author of the upcoming book progressively worse <laughs> that's a great title you have to admit why today's democrats ain't your daddy's donkeys came up with that all on my own and it will go to number one save the tape trust me especially if i appear on this show to promote it anyway See all these polls out, and I was talking to the producers before, and I believe it was Mike who said that, you know, I just don't know what to believe as far as all these polls because they tend to be all over the place. We saw what happened in 2016 where we had polling or at least forecasts showing New York Times, for example, the day 
of the election that Hillary Clinton had a 71% chance of winning. The Huffington Post forecast model, which I would imagine is quite elaborate given that publication's credibility, had Hillary at 99% winning. Frank Lutz, even on uh, Lutz, I should say, uh, at 6.30 on election day, night, I guess at that point, said Hillary Clinton will be the 45th president. I could go on and on. Nate Silver, same thing. And then we saw what happened and we're like, oh, all right. I guess when we use polls as news for, you know, months and months leading up to an election, maybe that ain't a good idea. Right. Because maybe people don't answer landlines anymore. Maybe we truly can't gauge exactly what America is thinking. But I think they do serve a purpose when don't take every number as gold, right, as gospel. But I look at state-by-state polling, which I think sometimes could be more accurate because obviously it's more condensed to an area. And I've seen some consistencies around what we're seeing. In other words, I've seen a lot, particularly on the other cable news networks, about how there was a Quinnipiac poll that came out this week showing Joe Biden up six points on Donald Trump. See, he's resilient. The American people are rallying around the president. No. I'm sorry. It's not how it works. Presidential elections come down to a finite number of states. And those states are usually decided relatively close, right? In other words, in 2020, Georgia was decided by 10,000 votes. And Arizona was decided by 10,000 votes. And Wisconsin was decided by 20,000 votes. In the whole scheme of things, in a country with 355 million people, that is minuscule. And those very easily can be flipped, especially considering now that Joe Biden can't run from his basement, can't use COVID as an excuse, will actually have to run on a record when it comes to, and don't even get me started on the whole, if I hear one more time the president say that inflation is coming down, I will start running in traffic because it is not coming down. Here's how it works, kids. All right. And it's quite easy. The inflation rate when Joe Biden took office was 1.3%. That's what Donald Trump left him with. It then went to 9.1% in a year. It is now 3.4%. So this is kind of like my, my fourth grade daughter's math problem. Is inflation coming down if it goes from 9.1% to 3.4%. Trick question, because you say, well, yeah, 3.4 is lower than 9.1. It's not how it works. Let me put it in context, okay? Let's say I gain 40 pounds in a year. And to remedy this situation, because the wife thinks I look like the Stanley Cup at this point, and the intimate times start to go away, she says, you got to start losing weight. Okay. So I proceed to only gain 15 pounds the following year. Now, can you say that I've lost weight? No, because my weight didn't come down. It continued to go up. It just didn't go up as fast. Does this all make sense now? And that's what's happening. Our inflation rate is at 3.4%. That is nearly three times higher than it was when Donald Trump took office. So prices, while they're going way, way up, are only just going way up. It still makes things more expensive when people want to buy food. Gas is still 40% higher than it was when Donald Trump left office. Rents continue to go up. Interest rates are still way too high. All these things mean something when it comes to this election because it's a feel election. How do I feel about the economy? And yet I got to hear like Stephanie Rule on MSNBC saying that we have the world's best economy right now. And then I got to hear the president in Joe Biden say that inflation is coming down. It's now lower in America than any other economy in the world. Huh. 
Let's do a fact check since our usual fact checkers like the guy at CNN appear to be on a four year spring break unless they want to come out and fact check Trump when he says something. But Biden almost never. Here's the deal to use a Bidenism. Other countries that have lower inflation rates. OK, remember, the president said we have the lowest inflation rate of any country in the world. OK, great. Uh, Japan, which at last check is a major economy, uh, is only 2.6 percent. That's lower. Canada, which is pretty close. Uh, they are at 3.4%, so they're tied with us. China is at minus 0.3%, if you want to believe their figures. Fine. The Netherlands, 3.2%. South Korea, 3.2%. Spain, 3.4%. Italy, 0.4%. Germany, 2.9%. France, 3.1%. European Union, 3.4%. Saudi Arabia, 1.5%. See where I'm going with this? I, I could go on and on. There are other countries on here that actually have a lower inflation rate, including Aruba. Who knew? But the point is that we don't have the lowest inflation rate. You can't tell people that the economy is great when it is not. You can't tell them that inflation is falling when it is not, and that's what this president does. We're going to talk to Taylor Riggs about this, by the way. Fox Business. She's incredible. (laughs) I talked to her in a green room when she first started here, and uh, not long after that, she got pregnant, and then she runs the New York City Marathon while pregnant, and not like one semester in. I believe she was two semesters in, and... (laughs) I'm sorry. It's hard enough to run 26 miles. I could barely drive 26 miles, like in a car, and not be like, boy, are we there yet? And to run it, and while pregnant, uh, that alone uh, will, will be half of our interview, believe me, because i got to hear all about that experience. But, but the point is that this is what this president does. It's the blame game whenever anything goes wrong, right? So with inflation, the president once said that Donald Trump actually, he had inherited high inflation from Donald Trump, which we just showed was not true. He also said when gas prices were going through the roof in 2022 to blame Russia because they invaded Ukraine and therefore that drove prices up. Illegal border crossings, shattering records, right? Tens of thousands of people coming in every week. And this president blames Trump because he inherited a mess at the border. No, he did not. Oh, the Afghanistan withdrawal results in chaos. 13 U.S. service members killed. Blames Trump again. Oh, we had a bad deal with the Taliban. Like, you couldn't reverse that? And that's the thing with the border, right? 94 executive orders made when this president took office to reverse basically every single immigration and border policy that this president had. All he has to do is reverse it. I don't want to hear one more minute about Congress must act, whether that's Corrine Jean-Pierre or Kamala Harris or Joe Biden himself. Congress must act. At last check, you had the Congress for two years when Nancy Pelosi was House Speaker, and you had the Senate as well, and you didn't do, there's a word there I could use that's four letters, I'm not going to do it, you didn't do diddly, all right? And now even with Congress in the Republican hands, they passed a bill just last May called the Secure the Border Act, which called for more border agents, completing wall construction, remain in Mexico policy, reinstated, and catch and release, done for. You do those things, you will have a secure border again. Of course, that's not happening. And that's why this president is polling at 18% when it comes to approval on the border. And it's now a number one issue. Rut row. And look, this is why he is bleeding support from black voters, for example, especially in urban areas, because they see what's happening. They see us taking care of those who are here illegally, giving them four-star hotels, three meals a day, transportation, all these things. And meanwhile, those who are here legally, who were born here or came here legally, are getting the shaft. 
And that's why voters, whether it's black, whether it's Hispanic, are saying more and more, that's enough. This is ridiculous. I may not like Trump. I may not like his personality, but boy, I like his policies. And that's why in the end, you got to look at the state polls, kids. All right. Forget the national polls and Biden up six. All right. Here we have in Nevada, Quinnipiac, same polling outfit that has Biden up six. In Nevada, Trump is up 12. In Michigan, Trump is up six. That's huge. In Wisconsin, Trump is up eight. Also huge. North Carolina, 13. Good night. Arizona, Trump plus eight. Pennsylvania plus three. So even if Biden takes Pennsylvania, but if he loses Nevada, Michigan, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Arizona, and oh, by the way, Georgia, where he is up eight, that being Trump, you're looking at a landslide at this point. And you tell me what's going to reverse the trend in those particular states. Because, again, Biden won by very small margins in those states. He can't afford to lose anybody. And right now he doesn't have a base when it comes to young voters, black voters, Hispanic voters, independents, women, all leaving him. I'm not saying they're going to Trump necessarily. I think some go to RFK Jr. I think some just simply stay home because they're disgusted with all the candidates. Either way, that's not good for Biden. And that's why you hear all these rumors about him being replaced in the ticket. Sorry, that's just not happening at this point. We are now in February. I don't see where you do this. You want to say at the convention, delegates will step in and nominate somebody else. You think the American people, honestly, will put up with that? MSNBC will cheer it, especially if it's like Michelle Obama, who does not want the job, believe me. Or who else were they thinking of? Uh, Gavin Newsom? Eh. Nationally, that guy doesn't play. Sorry. And and California is a mess, and you'd have to run on that record. And again, you can't say you're for defending democracy and then take away voters' right to decide who their primary voter is. Sorry, I keep hitting my headphone. Anyway, this is Joe Concha filling in for Jimmy Fela. We have Taylor Riggs. We have Lee Carter, the great pollster, as well, on the other side of the break. Back with more in just a moment. A show that's taking orders from the big man upstairs. We're on a mission from God. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fela. This is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. This is Fox Across America, your number, toll-free number, as it were, 888-788-9. Guys, I wrote it down, and I crumpled up the paper. Nine, fill in the blank, nine, nine, zero, one, zero. Is that it? Nine, nine, one, zero. Thank you. I'll be honest. I screw up. I'll, I'll let you know, and it's all good. Uh, anyway, we got to talk about the Super Bowl, and I get that it's a week from now, but this will be the first weekend without any football since, like, late August, if you want to count, like, the early college games, right, because they keep starting that season earlier and earlier. So some of you will be out there being like, well, 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 what do I do, right, because it's just a fixture. College football on Saturdays, hell, you had college football Thursday night. I'm sorry. Yeah, you did have college football Thursday night. You had the pros Thursday night. You had the college football, uh, some games on Friday night. You had games all day Saturday starting at basically 11 a.m. all the way up through midnight. And then Sunday, sometimes if you had the London game, you start off your NFL day at, what, 9.30 a.m. Eastern time, and then all the way up until about midnight by the time the Sunday night game ends. So uh, 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 this was part of your life. Oh, yeah, Monday night, by the way, as well. You would have a game or sometimes two. So you have to do without that. I get they have, like, the 
I guess they have the Pro Bowl now, but it's like flag football. Yeah, it's just not quite the same. So you're going to have to do without it. So we might as well do a little uh, Super Bowl preview now in case I'm not on next week. Uh, we bring in producer Mike. Mike, first, my, my question to you is Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, I'll give you my perspective first. That absolutely is real. I mean, I, I got, I got, I'm watching cable news where they're literally analyzing the kiss uh, between Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey on the field in Baltimore afterwards, trying to decide whether it's platonic or not. I come down on this side of this. She's worth more than a million dollars, is the biggest star on the planet, probably the biggest pop star we've seen since Michael Jackson. He also is worth many, many, many millions of dollars. I think he has something like 12 endorsements, like big endorsements at this point. Neither needs the money. They don't need the publicity. So I don't think they're faking it. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I don't think they're faking. I think I thought that a little bit more in the beginning. But, like, it, it seemed like it could have been a stunt or something like that. But, no, it's it seems legit because, like you said, like both of them are extremely famous. It just happened to be – I think actually wasn't Aaron Andrews involved in getting them together or something along those lines. She hooked him up, yeah. Yeah. He asked about her, and then she had Taylor's number somehow. And yeah. Sideline reporters have a lot more uh, power than I realized. Yeah, you know it's funny though. I turned the TV off before the kiss and everything because I just want to get to bed. It was late, right? Or no? What am I thinking? That was was the second. That was the. I turned the channel to Fox actually at that point because I was going to the pregame stuff. Which, by the way, I don't know if you saw that, Joe. Did you see the uh, interview that Michael Strahan did with Dan Campbell before the game? Uh, no, what really go look it up later, even though, you know, Dan Campbell kind of blew it with some of the calls he made. Um, you think? But it was just the two of them sitting there because they used to be teammates on the Giants, obviously, back in the day. And they were uh, it must have been the week before, a couple days before out the facility. Um, but they'd simple man playing underneath it. It was great. It was a really good segment. So All right. I'll good. see that. Yeah, yeah, Dan Campbell, believe it or not, I was in Vegas. Uh, I think it was two years ago when he was sitting next to me. Right. And uh, he, he gets 19. He goes, hit me. Hey, wait a minute, it hit me. It's, you got 19. The dealer's showing a six. So, you know, that that pretty much – that was a joke, <laughs> by the way. But that's yes. what I mean. You're up two Eesh. scores. Kick the field goal against the number one seed on the road in the second half. I get – oh, well, that's our philosophy. Not again, You can do it against the Bears, all right, in, in Detroit. Week three. In week yeah. three. Yeah. yeah, you don't do this in the playoffs. And it's not being conservative, right? It wasn't like it was fourth and inches. Anyway, no. I, I digress. I digress. Uh, look. Here's the thing about the Taylor Swift effect, by the way. People, all I see are all these uh, press clippings about how Ravens Chiefs drew 55 million people, which is by far the most watched AFC championship of all time. Here's the problem. Fox drew more viewers without Taylor Swift. For the NFC. To, yes. Yeah. So you could say, oh, look at all the viewers Taylor Swift bought in. I'm sure she bought in some, but... Well, the game without her drew more, so what am I to conclude here? I think maybe just the effect is a little bit overrated at this point. Not in the beginning, but now people expect to see her games, and no one's going out of their way to watch as a result. So let's get your predictions on the game. This is as tight a point spread as I can remember. I think it's down to one at this point. I I, I don't know where to go with this because every time I think that Patrick Mahomes is finally going to meet his match, uh, I, I liked Buffalo, and he won there, and I liked Baltimore, and he won there. So can he win here? I say it ends, and San Francisco wins by a field goal. But I am strictly guessing at this point because betting against Mahomes is like betting against Michael Jordan, it feels like at this point. Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. I'm going to go 24-20-49ers, but it's going to be a close game. I think one thing you got to remember about that Baltimore-Kansas City game is Kansas City didn't score a single point in the second half, right? Nope. I mean, they scored 17 that first. They dominated, but then defensively, Baltimore shut them down that second half. So... That's going to be the interesting factor. I feel like Ken San Francisco's defense with that pass rush they have kind of get to Mahomes in a way that we were seeing certain teams get to him earlier this season. But then all of a sudden it's like the playoffs and they just turned it on. Like it's unbelievable. 
It is insane. And and that's the thing. Like, what San Francisco team is going to show up? Mm-hmm. Will the team that played the first half against the Packers and the team that played the first half against the Lions be the one that shows up? Or do we get second half 49ers? And, and look, the Ravens did themselves no favors fumbling mm-hmm. on the half-yard line. Uh, and, again, Lamar Jackson uh, is not Patrick Mahomes in the postseason. That's certainly for sure. But that's in the past. Either way, I think we get another great game. We've been blessed. You know, when I grew up in the 80s, uh, we had blowout after blowout. If the Denver Broncos were in the Super Bowl, they were getting blown out. The Buffalo Bills got blown out in three of their four Super Bowls. And every year, you're just like, oh, here we go. I don't see again. Now, there's such parity. The NFL couldn't be happier. And if Taylor Swift can get back from Tokyo to see this game, you're looking at an audience of 135, 140 million people. No question. Uh, yo, 100%. Apparently, you can bet on for the game whether or not uh, he's going to propose after the game, right? That, oh, wow. That's huge. Yeah, I know. It's pretty funny, isn't it? <laughs> you can bet anything now. That's great. Well, anyway, uh, how much time do we have left, by the way, Mike? I could ask these questions since you're a producer. One minute. With me. Oh, one minute. Okay, yep. very good. Uh, and let's go through some props, shall we? Yeah. So uh, what color Gatorade will be doused on the winning coach? I think that's easy. Red, right? It's yeah. Be. <laughs> Such similar uniforms at yeah. this point as far as And the, a rematch, the by the way. We ta- I don't know if we mentioned that, but a rematch of four years ago. It is, and they'll yeah. be wearing the same uniforms. The Chiefs, yes. who I think look better in white, will be wearing their home reds. I thought they'd go with white because white wins more often, and they just won two Now, what color were they white. wearing last year? But they're going to go red, they yeah. white last year? Uh, they wore um, white last year. Yeah, yeah the, right? The, the, the Eagles were green or whatever. Yeah, I think. White team wins something like 78% of the time. Both of the Giants Super Bowls recently, yeah. They were, they were white. in white, and the Cowboys yeah. helped that early on, so that's that. Anyway, all right, you have your picks. San Francisco 49ers win the Super Bowl. Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey are real. Hey, yeah. you'll learn a lot on this show, don't you? Back with more in a moment, everybody. Reality with a bit of insanity. It's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And welcome back, everybody. This is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. Fox Across America. Boy, we got Taylor Riggs here, who I was just singing your praises, Taylor, because I got to know what week exactly in your uh, pregnancy did you decide to run the New York City Marathon (laughs) and completed it with a good time? I mean, I can't drive 26 miles without getting tired. Okay, so I ran the London Marathon in April, and I was like 19 and a half weeks pregnant. And I had already been training for it before. And so I asked my doctor, I was like, can I still do this? And she was like, frankly, I see it all the time. If you're in shape before you get pregnant, continue to do whatever you've been doing, but just go a lot slower. So I did a full hour slower, okay. but it was really fun to still be able to do it. I still think that your time must have been good if that was an hour slower. <laughs> uh, and you had decent weather from what I remember. So that 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 helped. It was it was uh, fairly cool that day, right? So that uh, exactly. my wife is a runner. Very good. Did you run in college? You know, not ever um, like professionally or, or for a school. I just love it. You know, to me, I feel like therapy or um, running is such a form of therapy, physically, mentally. There's nothing like just being out on the road alone and gathering your thoughts. So sure. I just love it just for, for the sake of my well-being. 
Absolutely. <laughs> and by the way, we should formally introduce you. I got so excited to the, the fun part that I should say that you are the co-anchor of the Big Money Show. That's 1 p.m. Eastern time on Fox Business. And it's really, you know, I watch the show and, it, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll freely admit I can't watch every show that's on Fox, but I go out of my way to watch a couple. And yours is one of them because for, for starters, you guys have great chemistry. I don't know. Yeah. Um, because uh, you, you came from Bloomberg, of course. So it's not like you've known Jackie and Brian for years, but it seems like you do. And then the set, whoever designed that set, it's so, I don't know, like it makes you, it's optimistic. How yes. I put it? Does that make sense to you? Well, it totally does. Look, I have two great co-anchors. Uh, we've known each other for only a year. Like you said, I've been here just over a year, but the, the chemistry is real. They're, they're really good people. Jackie's a wonderful woman. She is. Brian's like salt of the earth, right? Like Midwestern, like he could do no wrong. Guy always um, has a smile on his face. Always has a smile. And so it's really fun. that The producers actually get in our ear in commercial break, and they're like, will you guys stop talking? I need to talk to you about the next block. Shut up, you people. Because <laughs> we just love chatting with each other. But no, I mean, it, it's great. And thank you for watching the show. I really appreciate that. Of course. Yeah. Jack, Jackie loves dogs, by the way. We should make that very clear, yes. particularly her own. Uh, I do want to talk to you about, you know, what's hard to do. And, you know, as far as Fox Business in general, you got to talk numbers a lot, right? And yeah. sometimes they could float in the air. And, and somebody very important in television uh, who, who passed away uh, once told me uh, after a hit, pulls me aside and he says, you can't use too many numbers and hit. He goes, I love the fact that you're prepared, but the audience has to be able to absorb these things and mm-hmm. put it into context and understand what it means to them. So if you throw out three or four numbers within the span of like, I don't know, 40 seconds, uh, the first number is forgotten by the time you get to the third. So well, I'm like, sad. oh, that's really good advice. Yeah. So I, I hear the president talking about how inflation is down. That's that's one quote. Mm-hmm. And then he says we have the best economy in the world right now and that we have the lowest unemployment rate in the world right now. And you hear these things, you say, wow, that sounds pretty good. Maybe I'm wrong about the economy. But then you realize that inflation isn't down. It's just right. not going up as fast. <laughs> and I hope that's a point. And I, I've heard you guys make it, but explain that to uh, our audience yes. a little bit more. Okay, so the best analogy I like to use is a car on a freeway. So inflation during 2020 and 2021 and 2022 was like us all going 60 miles an hour. Yeah. Then we are slowing down on inflation. So instead of going 60, I pulled back a little bit. Now I'm only going 30 miles an hour, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm not in reverse. I haven't reversed (laughs) and backed up the car. I'm not going back to where I came. I am just slowing down how quickly the prices are rising. Does that analogy help? And that, that is the anger of frustration still because they look at grocery prices and they say, well, chicken or steak or eggs or milk are still higher than 2019. And we say, of course, the prices are still higher than 2019. We're just slowing down the rate at which those gains are hitting your pocketbook. That's exactly right. I use the uh, the wife is angry at me for not being the same guy I was on honeymoon night analogy, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, which is, boy, you know, Joe was in pretty good shape when we got married in 2010. And then uh, realizing like, boy, you know, Joe's been really eating a lot of, you know, chips and whatnot, watching football every Sunday. And it looks like he's gained about 40 pounds. So then I say, all right, honey, I'll cut back on the chips and I'll make sure that, you know, I try to exercise more. And then the following year, I only gained 15 pounds. And I say, look, honey, I've lost weight. She goes, no, you haven't. Still gained exactly. 15 on top of the 40. <laughs> Bingo. And and that just I think strikes at, at the frustration of Americans. When we say the economy is good, they're still comparing it to 2019. They're not comparing it to last year. 
That's exactly right. And that's what you can't do. You can't take a high baseline number like inflation was 9.1% and look how much it's come down now. No, that's not how it works. The number you want to use is 1.3%, which is the number that Joe Biden inherited from Donald Trump when he first took office. And we're talking to Taylor Riggs, co-host on Fox Business. And Taylor, that's the thing now. Are we in a good economy right now? Because you can make the argument that the jobs report today was excellent. 350,000 jobs added. Or are those jobs that are kind of not the best jobs or are they government jobs? Is there something like under the onion that we're missing here besides the overall baseline number? Yeah. So great question. The headline number is wonderful. Like you said, 350,000 jobs is great. But what I did on the show today in in our A block is I went and looked underneath the surface. So Mm -hmm. people are working fewer hours than they were last month because employers go to them. And if they're an hourly employee, those employers are saying, I can't pay you for a 40 hour week. You're only working 34 hours this month. So you're starting to see hours come down. You're seeing people leave the labor market because they're either giving up or they don't want to work. And so they're pulling out of the labor market altogether. Um, I think another really interesting point in this survey is, and I don't want to get too wonky here, but you get that payrolls report. Then in that number, you also get a household survey report. That Mm. survey, which uses a different methodology, showed that 175,000 people left the workforce. Jobs declined by 35,000 people. So I would guess that the number is somewhere in between the two extremes. Like you said, the big jobs number at 350,000 versus a couple thousand people leaving. I imagine it's somewhere in the middle, but there's something going on within this methodology. I think that makes people at home feel very confused because we hear every corporation, UPS is laying off 11,000 people. Um, Tech earnings were great, but they've cut 35,000 people in the last few years. And I think that's a lot of the confusion. And that makes total sense. And we're talking to Taylor Riggs, the co-host of the, or co-anchor. Do you prefer co-host or co-anchor? Oh, I go host. Dealer's choice. Dealer's choice. I love it. <laughs> uh, the Big Money Show. It's funny because I do uh, something called the the Big Weekend Show uh, on uh, on Fox News every Saturday and Sunday at, at 7 p.m. Eastern. A lot of big shows. You ever notice that? Like, it's a, that's a big show right there. So yep. I, I think big is the thing. Uh, I love it. Indeed. So – I guess the election coming up, GDP is doing pretty well as well, right? But uh, somebody once told me, I think it was Larry Kudlow, that uh, elections aren't decided by GDP. <laughs> is that your Good perspective? Point. Well, elections are decided by pocketbook issues, of which you and I just described. That inflation is still higher than it was in 2019. That being said, GDP, and I was actually just chatting with Larry Kudlow about this a few days ago, uh, we can't figure out the models. Everyone predicted that there was going to be a recession, and, and we haven't had it. And frankly, GDP looks good. It's accelerating up. Last quarter was 3.3%. That's good. I mean, we all talk about the Trump days when you were getting 3% GDP. I don't know if something structurally has changed within this economy that um, the models of predicting recessions aren't working anymore because it has defied everybody. Every economist, Larry said he was wrong. Every Federal Reserve, everyone on, on Wall Street um, has been wrong about this. So the good news about that is um, if inflation can slow the rate of increase and people don't have to lose their jobs in order to do that, that is a win for everyone. 
indeed. And we're talking to Taylor Riggs. And, and finally, Taylor, I want to hear about your uh, bundle of joy. So obviously uh, you complete the marathon, then you, you, you have the baby, you took uh, the, the necessary time off, and good for you. Uh, so uh, is baby number two on the way, which I'm sure most of your older, annoying <laughs> relatives are saying? And B, how's number one going? Uh, baby number two is not on the way. Good for you. But if I were to make an announcement, it would be here with you, Joe. It would. Um, oh, thank you. Baby number one is wonderful. Her name is Millie. She's such a sweet little love bug. We're in ballet class and we're in a swim really? class. She loves, babies love the water. So they she, do. So she's in swim, having a grand, grand time. And babies are such a gift from God. I feel so blessed. Um, she's precious. Uh, Taylor, I got to tell you, I, I was selfish just for about eight seconds when uh, the, the baby comes out. We didn't know the gender, and uh, out comes uh, our baby girl, Cameron, our, our first child. Yeah. A- and at first, I'm like, oh, man, I really wanted a boy. Like, I was happy she was healthy. I'll say all the right things, but yes. I'm just like, oh, man, you know. And then uh, immediately, I, I, it came to baby number two uh, almost two years later. And then uh, this time, we wanted to know the gender. And uh, my wife says, you're, you're having a boy. I'm like, boy, I really wanted a girl. <laughs> Because I love the princess stage, and you're the hero completely and totally. Uh, but now we're glad we had girl, then boy. They, they bring so many different qualities to the table, and my son's just an absolute goofball. My daughter is uh, the biggest. Oh, by the way, she is wearing uh, today to school her Christian McCaffrey jersey. She is a 49ers fan. Now, listen Huge. to this conundrum for a oh second. Oh, my gosh. She loves Taylor Swift more than anything in the world. She loves the whole Kelsey Swift romance. What are you going to do? I said, what are you going to do? She goes, the 49ers are my team. I I, I love Taylor, but I'm sticking with the 49ers. I I, go, God, I love you. I am a huge 49ers fan. I heard. And Christian McCaffrey, number 23, Brock Purdy, 13. We're going to do it. This is our year. I love what Taylor has brought to the sport and bringing awareness and getting women involved in football, NFL, blah, blah, blah. But it is the Niners' time faithful to the Bay, Joe. Absolutely. So that's where you grew up then? Yeah, right outside San Francisco. So I grew up in the sort of Jerry Rice, Joe Montana era. Ah. Um, and then this, the last few years have been phenomenal. This, this is our year. They've always been great, and they should have got, probably gone last year, and then Purdy got hurt in that NFC Championship game where he couldn't even throw the ball. Yep. And they basically didn't have a backup. Where McCaffrey had to play quarterback at some point. And I always felt, you know, they got not robbed because injuries are part of the game, but I would like to see this 49ers team completely healthy and see what they yes. can do. And they gave, gave you guys two scares against the Packers yes. and the Lions. So I, but you want to talk about my mental health? I was oh, not God. well during those games. And Debo Samuel's back. He's healthy. So mm, I'm big. feeling all of the good vibes for next Sunday. You need Debo because they went something like 0-3 in games he didn't yep. play. They couldn't score more than 17 points in those games, as you could tell. I watch a little bit of NFL football. So uh, the only thing is you're going up against kind of like the Michael Jordan of football at this point. Mahomes. I counted him out three times during this postseason. He keeps winning. And Travis Kelsey, who some people thought that, uh, you know, he's old, he's distracted, he's proving now that he's anything but. So I think either way, call your chiropractor, get the defibrillator. This is going to come probably right down to the wire, just like it did last year. And we're probably going to have like a 24-21, 24-20 kind of game. And uh, either way, uh, you're watching it at home, you're going to host, or is it it annoying? Here's my dad. Here's what he thinks about this. It's annoying to be around other people. I'd rather watch it with one or two other people. I can't have people talking the entire time. Well, and I have to be at home because I pace back and forth because I get so nervous. You're a pacer too. Then I can't sit still. But I think one of these days, let's take your daughter in her McCaffrey jersey. Let's go to a game. Yes. And let's have a blast. I believe they play here next year. I think they're playing at the Jets next year. Uh, the way the schedule works out. So we will do that. I will hold you to this and if we'll not, have Fox we'll pay take, for it. Um, 
we'll, we'll fly out to SFO. Why not? Yeah, why not? Why not do that? My, my daughter, again, she's 10, but she has what's called a crushy on, on a kid named Giuseppe. And they're not dating, of course. They're 10. Uh, they're, they're, only, they're, they're just basically best friends. And the reason why she came to like the 49ers is because he likes the 49ers. His dad actually flew him to the Green Bay game uh, two weeks ago because, I, I don't know, he just had an in there, I guess. And I'm like, you flew five hours, the, the four 10-year-old kid to the game? Yes. He says, trust me, he'll always remember that. And you know, Joe, probably right. mm. you have to remain faithful to the Bay. This is the true. Faithful I... will travel. <laughs> so you went to the old horrible Candlestick Park then. That would be fun to stay in and watch a oh, game. Oh, God, 100 years ago. Yeah. But Levi Stadium is beautiful. I went last year when we played Tampa Bay, and it was one of Tom Brady's last games. It was, That's right. Um, they killed him, too. Yep, killed him. <laughs> and a beautiful stadium. That's right. And is that far from San Francisco? About an hour or how 30 close? minutes south. Oh, that's not horrible. Right in okay. outside San Jose. So you just, and it's closer to the airport because the airport's south of the city. So that's if you're right. flying to SFO, just take a take the freeway down and there you are i love the giants uh ballpark out there it's just perfectly built right on the bay like that and just uh that, we should that's, rename that's this the football show it really should you know i mean it's fail a show <laughs> and i come on here and do football picks so we, we could do anything you want on this show which i've learned and that's that's a good thing so uh all right finally prediction uh, does the economy get better in 2024 they usually do during election years oh. or stay the same or worse or is it just a fool's errand to even try to predict this up because it's so fool's errand, you're right but history does tell us that the market the um not the economy but the stock market always does well and so january goes so too does the rest of the year and in an election year the stock market actually always does well so you know i'm not in the the stock picking business but if you're in the market continue to keep dollar cost averaging and the odds say past performance though no guarantee future performance does say the market will continue to perform she should have a business show, I think. Oh, that's right, she does. It's called The Big <laughs> Money Show. It's 1 p.m. Eastern uh, with the very affable Brian Brenberg and Jackie DeAngelis. Taylor Riggs, thanks so much. Say hello to Millie. Great name, by the way. Nice and Thank simple. You. Everybody and names go their Niners. kids. Go Niners. We're going to leave it on that note. Joe Concha and Virginia Fail of Fox Across America. We wrap this puppy up in just a moment. It's the number one show with humans and animals. Nice beaver. Thank you. I just had it stuffed. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Welcome back, everybody. The end of hour three there for the end of this show. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. My wife is calling me now for some reason at 2.55, knowing I'm on the radio. She just quickly hung up because she must have uh, somehow must have ESPN or something. Anyway, I hate to end this show on such uh, a depressing note, but Carl Weathers has passed away. Carl Weathers, of course, most famously played Apollo Creed, Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4. And here you had basically the bad guy. In Rocky 1 and Rocky 2 as Rocky's opponent, beats him in Rocky 1, barely. Rocky 2 ends up losing to Rocky in the 15th round. You remember, they both go down from exhaustion or just beating each other up. Rocky gets up before the 10 count. Apollo does not. Rocky wins the title. Rocky 3, you have Apollo in, in retirement, sees Rocky get beat to a pulp by Clubber Lang after 
obviously Rocky's trainer, Mickey, had died right before the fight. Hard to fight at that point. Probably would have been beaten anyway, however, because Rocky lost his eye of the tiger, you may remember. And then Apollo convinces Rocky to be his trainer, uh, ends up showing him how to not get punched 100% of the time uh, and to use speed and agility and all the things that made him a great fighter. And uh, they, they win that fight. And then Rocky four Apollo foolishly comes back, fights Ivan Drago, and dies in the ring in Las Vegas. Either way, you had to go from bad guy to good guy to martyr and remember, Carl Weathers wasn't some lifelong actor they, they put in there. He played for the Oakland Raiders. He was a football player. And then Sylvester Stallone, who has a great eye for this stuff, casts him as Apollo Creed, and he looks so natural in the ring. I've never seen an actor look as natural in the ring as Carl Weathers did as Apollo Creed. So, I mean, R.I.P. I mean, what other movies was he in, guys? He was in uh, Happy, oh, Happy Gilmore. That's right, sure. Predator, right? I think he should have had a bigger career, almost. I think he was that good of an actor, but maybe like once you're Apollo Creed, it's hard to not be typecast as something like that. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm sad right now. It's hard to end the show, but I, I will. And thanks to all our guests and for uh, the gentleman behind the booth and uh, to you, of course, the listener. And hopefully, Jimmy, will have me back here in this seat on Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. This is Joe Concha saying bye-bye. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.